Welcome to the fourth installment of the OSU Women in Surgery Symposium Series. This panel, led by Dr. Angela Paredes, a PGY2 general surgery resident, addresses obstacles in career transitions from medical school to residency, to fellowship, and to your first job as junior faculty. Hi, uh, my name is Anahita Jalavand. I'm a PGY3 general surgery resident. I just came out of three years in the lab. I just finished uh, my PhD. What motivated me initially to go to surgery? Well, I think I kind of always knew that I wanted to be a surgeon. Uh, once I went into medical school, I really didn't like anything else. I kind of had one option. And then actually what motivated me to really do my PhD actually has a lot to do with mentorship. My name is Lisa Cunningham. Um, I'm a recent colorectal surgery graduate from Ohio State, and I was hired on as an assistant professor. Um, I was initially afraid of surgery because I went to a school where they actually told all women not to go into surgery. Um, and then when I did the rotation as a third year uh, medical student, I couldn't not do anything else. And then I chose colorectal surgery because it fit all of the things that I wanted to do for my career. I wanted to pick a field that was more elective because I like to be a little bit more thoughtful and planned with a lot more of my surgeries. And then I decided to stay in academics because I really enjoy teaching. And I also enjoy the environment of inquiry that you have in an institution where there's a lot of support um, and mentorship and a lot of access. Hi, I'm Eliza Beal. I'm one of the PG5, uh, PGY5 um, general surgery residents. I um, went to medical school at Ohio State, and I think what initially got me interested in surgery was um, actually I did a kidney transplant with Dr. Bumgardner, and I very distinctly remember the entire operation and how awesome it was to see the exposed iliac vessels, and then also she let me do a sub running subcuticular on this giant transplant incision, and I was sold. Um, and uh, I am going to do surgical oncology fellowship actually here next year, and I'm very excited to stay. Hi, my name is Ruth Ack. I'm one of the second year general surgery residents. I initially planned to go into MedPeds. I was offered the opportunity to work with these two transplant surgeons that um, I fell in love with everything they were doing, and they pushed me um, both in the clinical setting, and then they sort of took me under their wings um, as a research mentee, and they would not let me quit, even when I was the only female in my medical school class who applied general surgery. All the other six girls who started out with me dropped out, and I ended up being the only girl to apply out of like 15 guys. So I'm Vivian Wang. I didn't actually want to do surgery. I wanted to be a pediatrician. So I arranged for surgery to be my last rotation in medical school. And I did it, and I thought it was the coolest thing ever, and then went through a lot of hemming and hawing and soul searching, and then I decided to do surgery. The reason why I went into minimally invasive surgery is because I think it's such a cool dance in the operating room. The way you think about the surgery, the technical aspects, the fact that you're always trying to do the same thing but better and find a better way to do it is why I fell in love with it. Thank you all for all that information. Sponsorship and mentorship comes in all shapes and sizes, some good, some not as good. Can you give us an example of a mentor or a sponsor that may not have been as good? And how is it that you were still able to thrive in that environment? Um, we have so many fantastic research, research mentors um, in our department that um, sometimes 
you occasionally do have to say no to a research project because there are just so many fantastic opportunities. It does occasionally require being pretty upfront with your research mentors about um, whether or not what you're currently working on is continuing to help you achieve your goals. Um, and I did have a research mentor who I'd worked with for a long time who I have so much gratitude for um, who was interested in continuing having me work with them um, and I was interested in transitioning into a little bit of a different space and so I did have to have a pretty upfront conversation with them about that. He took that very well and did, you know, has now been really supportive in helping me transition to working with other people who are more um, kind of interested in the same pathway that I am. Um, actually when I initially planned to go out to do um, research, I was planning to do pediatric surgery and I was really interested in pediatric obesity and I wanted to do this thing looking at adipose tissue and inflammation. I didn't really know what I was talking about at that point. It was really floundering a little bit and actually the, uh, the MIS people were really just very supportive and so they just said, hey, you wanna do this thing, here are all these people that you could work with and that's what really transitioned me into the path for bariatric surgery and MIS and it wasn't really something I planned on so sometimes it's just about noticing kind of the room around you, the people who maybe are detracting and the people who are actually pushing you forward because I really wouldn't have been anywhere near where I am now without that mentorship and that sponsor sponsorship. In fact, would have been really going down a rabbit hole the other way. I, I think that finding a mentor also is a little bit of similar to speed dating. It may not be the most obvious person and I would have never guessed that Dr. Ron and Dr. Goss would have been those people for me. They were very broly type of guys who very much so gravitated towards other male students and I sort of was somebody who was um, a bystander um, on, on the service and it just so happened that, you know, they saw me, they saw me always tagging along and, and started offering me projects and things like that and I was the yes person and I was getting things done and making things happen and once I started producing for them, they continued to provide me with the projects and the support and the backing and they became my biggest advocates and got me to where I, I am today. My biggest mentor in medical school was actually the psychiatry clerkship director. And although it, it kind of sounds crazy, um, she was potentially the only person who could see that you have to do what feeds your soul. And so as a psychiatrist, she was the only one who could see that I had to do surgery in order to be happy. I think this is a great question because I think learning to work with a bad mentor is actually the key to being a happy resident. I didn't ever really actively seek out mentors. And then you look back and you're like, actually, I had a ton of mentors. They just naturally were there. You're gonna have attendings in residency that are great, you're gonna, and you're gonna love to work with them. You're gonna have attendings that when you know you have to work with them, you're gonna be like, oh my God, I, I wish I could like just call in sick and not be there. But I would challenge you, for those people you think are great, you note what they do well, and make sure you copy them in the future, for those that are just a pain in the butt to work with, note what they don't do well, note the things that they do well, because it'll make your life a little easier, and then challenge yourself, how do I work with them so that I can make the whole situation better? You'll also just be happier because you've learned how to deal with difficult people. Thank you guys. In regards to your most recent transition, whether it's personal or professional, can you describe an obstacle external or internal to the Department of Surgery that you faced that you think was unique to you being a woman? And what resources did you utilize in order to overcome this? 
even though you are now the MD and you are now an MD in the room, that does not mean that you have earned that respect in the nurse's mind. And so as a PGY1, a lot of the times that transition between medical student and, um, and then stepping into your new role as the physician in the room um, can take some grace on your part um, and really being conscientious about building those relationships and becoming, and becoming um, partners with your nursing colleagues. Um, so I can talk about two transitions actually. Uh, one um, was really good advice that I got from one of my male surgeons. His wife is actually an interventional radiologist and unbeknownst to me, interventional radiology is actually also very um, uh, female unfriendly. His advice to me was, when you go to fellowship, you are a PGY5 plus one. All of the information that you have gained in your five years, your street cred, the things that people know that you're capable of doing, everything that have made you who you are, don't matter. Because you're going to a new place and you are a PGY one. So when you go there, you go there, you know all, everything about your patients, you go there with an open mind, you go there, you operate your ass off, and you show up just as you did when you started your first day of PGY one year. And then transitioning from being a fellow to being an attending, um, really it was contract negotiation. And that was something that um, was really hard for me um, because I was here as a fellow, people knew me, I get a contract and I was like, yay, they like me. Oh my gosh, this is awesome. And I was ready to sign it without even thinking to ask for anything, honestly. And it was only through um, mentorship with some of other female faculty members and other um, faculty members from home that I countered and was able to increase the signing bonus, get protected time for education, do things that were important for me that I needed in my contract that I would have never had the strength or the belief in myself that I deserved. I think the mistake that you can make is to value too much the name of a place. If you know it's going to a certain name is gonna get you where you need to go, by all means do it, but sometimes people value that over the actual people who are there. I guess I have an obvious woman one. Um, <clears throat> so I recently had a child, and I had him while I was on research. Um, and then when I transitioned, I transitioned in July back to clinicals, so back to 80-hour work weeks, and also trying to write my dissertation and trying to continue my research and try to be a good mom and a wife and all that stuff. And that becomes very difficult and complicated and usually very messy. You have this thing where you're constantly feeling like you have to wear every single hat 100% of the time, and if you're not doing it, then there's something wrong with you. And I think part of that has to do with the image that a lot of women give themselves as being able to do everything, and we tell ourselves that. And so that's been a struggle for me as I try to prioritize one over the other and also forgive myself when I just can't get a certain thing done on time or I'm not home to you know, be there with my son when he goes to sleep, just forgive myself that that's, I'm not a bad mom. As we all have faced obstacles and continue to face other obstacles that should come. So what has been unique in your toolbox that you value, that you cherish, that you will continue to utilize as you continue to thrive and succeed? One of the things that 
I had in residency, um, we actually started girl nights, we called them. Um, I started them my second year of residency. You could talk about whatever you want to talk about at a safe place. And we had a girls text chain. I've always felt that having that group of women who were in similar situation to where I was, I was actually, I'm actually the, the most senior person in that text chain at this point, um, all the way down to interns, um, was helpful. I was on the uh, colorectal service actually in September. I had just tweeted this thing saying that I was overwhelmed or something, something funny but sarcastic, but also maybe a little serious. And uh, I was going to the OR with Harzman, and Harzman looked at me and was like, What's wrong with you? And I was like, Oh, I, you know, just I can't deal with all the things I have to do, but it's no big deal, it's fine. And he was like, Well, do you need a personal day? And I'm like, um, Yeah. And uh, he like arranged for me to have a day off in the middle of the week. And I just sat in a coffee shop and wrote a lot of my defense. And it was actually like this pivotal, pivotal day. Because if I hadn't done that, I don't think I would have finished my defense. That sounds kind of funny. But that one day having it off uh, was really helpful. So, it, you know, going back to the culture, when you're in the right place, people will take notice of you. And even things that you don't intend. Like, I didn't put that tweet out to ask for something. I was just being sarcastic and funny. But he took it seriously. And it was really helpful. As women, we are sort of trained from a young age to suppress our own wants, needs, in order to build this helper mentality that we need to sort of put other people's needs at the forefront. I actually listened to Dr. Meyerson. I was at um, a talk that she gave at the Cleveland Clinic, and she talked about that's the difference between why female residents, general surgery residents, tend to lag behind male colleagues in developing autonomy in the OR because they are afraid to ask. A lot of male residents, mentally, they're already there where they keep going, keep pushing their limits in the OR, waiting to be, to be slapped on the wrist or to, or to be told, this is, this is where you need to stop. Whereas female residents enter the situation a little bit differently and look for permission to proceed. When I came back from that talk, I remember I had already rotated on surgical oncology as an intern. And I rotated with the same attending, the same male attending, and this time I went in with that new mentality. I said, I'm gonna keep going, I'm gonna ask for instruments in the OR, I'm gonna pay attention to exactly how he does it, and then I'm gonna ask for that right before he gets to that point in the case. This particular attending that I spent a lot of time working with said, um, did, did I meet you last year? Because, you know, I, I don't remember working with you, but you're an excellent resident. And I'm the same person that he worked with last year. I was doing the same things. I was retracting the entire case, but this time I was just, you know, the one who was asking and pushing, pushing things forward until I was told to stop. Actually, when I was interviewing for residency on the interview trail, I happened to interview in the D.C. area, and I had the pleasure of... Um, talking with the chairman at Howard University. I ended up talking with the chairman about this concept, equanimity under duress. And that has become sort of a catchphrase for me in that a lot of times as a woman, when you show emotion, you are perceived in a different space than when a man shows emotion in that same setting. And so that whole concept of coolness in the face of duress has to be pre present for people to perceive those same leadership characteristics that are perceived in men. These toolbox things we do are all things we picked up along the way, and none of these things are things that, at least for me, I naturally came with. 
the culture is changing, and while you're gonna have mentors who tell you you need to start stepping up more, you need to, you're good enough, like you can start taking the instruments on your own and we'll tell you when you're stepping out of line. Those are things that'll guide you through and you don't have to force yourself to do something that you're uncomfortable with because, let's be real, we shouldn't be training everyone to become a stereotypical surgeon that's always aggressive and always yelling out orders. It should be more diverse. We should have surgeons who are more calm, who um, take other people's opinions. And you can stand in the back and just retract, but if you're a super reliable retractor and you're always there, people will take notice. And if they're not taking notice of you, then they're probably not the mentor you wanna model yourself after anyways. For those people who are ahead of that point now, to be the type of attendings and mentors that notice all sorts of different students, not just the ones that make a point to speak up in your operating room. Thank you all for being so honest with us. Um, we will now entertain any questions from the audience. I have a question for you all. Height. Is height an issue? And as you progress up, do you stop having to adjust the table for somebody else? Yes, yes. It's a big yeah. issue. And is there something I can do uh, no, to be I mean, more sensitive? Uh, I mean, I, I, you can't be shorter, so... If you're leading the operation, I've seen some attending surgeons who will, you know, make sure the bed is adjusted to my height, and will actually take the time to say, no, this is not to your height, like, you shouldn't be on a step, you should have the, the bed where you want it. I actually think attendings should actually pay attention to their really tall residents, because attendings are a lot more likely to be like, hey, please grab a step for my resident who's shorter than me, but they will never put the bed up high enough for their tall residents and that they themselves stand on a step. I would actually say one of the things that's a little bit more significant for me is that a lot of instruments don't fit my hands. And sometimes when you're training, you'll get comments like, why can't you hold it this way? This is the way I hold it. Or this is how I do my colonoscopy or this is whatever. And you, I've had very blatant, especially as I progressed in my career, I became more outspoken, where I was like, I cannot physically do what you're asking me to do, and this is how I'm adjusting it. Um, thank you very much for your inspiring uh, sharing. Um, I'm from China. I just got MD degree this year, uh, specialty of uh, hepatic sur surgery. My problem is sometimes my colleagues, mentors are just too kind, too gentlemen. Um, to me in operation room, such as a long time surgery, they would say, um, are you tired? Do you need a rest? But when it comes to my male co colleagues, just uh, keep on stick to the surgery. Mm, that pissed me off sometime and I want to know what would you do in this situation and how to grow up? The <coughs> fact that they um, treat you differently differently than your male colleagues is frustratingly misogynistic, but I also, this is advice for all medical students, I would never not take a break when it is offered. So maybe as an attending, you can just be more fair about who you offer breaks to. How I would respond in that situation would kind of depend on the person asking me that question. If it was my attending and someone very senior to me, I probably would if there's like a medical student or another resident or someone else scrubbed in with me, I probably would be like, no, thank you, I'm fine. And I would probably turn and say, maybe so-and-so would like a break instead. And especially if that person is a male, then that would be an opportunity for them to like, oh, okay, why am I asking you and not this other person? If it was maybe a more junior attending or someone you had a really good relationship with and they're totally just trying to be supportive and nice to you, um, but you do wanna make a point, I would probably be like, no, I'm actually fine, thank you. 
would you like a break? I'm happy to stay scrubbed in. For all the attendees who are out there, it, it is something that women definitely want to be treated the same way as men. And if someone's conscientiously changing the way they're acting towards a female trainee because they think that maybe they're going to be too harsh on them, then maybe they should consider the fact that they should be treating their male trainees differently as well and just across the board treat them the same. I think kind of a, a bigger question, though, is the kind of feedback you get. I have noticed maybe in the Me Too era, maybe male attendings are a little bit more worried about how to give advice to female residents. And sometimes in the operating room, I think some people may be more likely to say, oh, you did great, you did such a good job, you know, not really tell you the points that you need to advance on and the, the constructive feedback that you need to progress. I think the first step is always to have a conversation about it and say, this is what I need from this operation. I want to get better. This is the things that I want. And that often will set a much better relationship in the operating room to begin with. Any other questions from the audience? I feel like a lot of the conversation today has been about patients or about attendings, but there hasn't been as much conversation about colleagues and how they can both be allies, but also at times kind of barriers to succeeding and thriving. Can you all comment on that somewhat, Lee? You know, I went to residency in the South, and there's a lot of good old boys there, and a lot of my co-residents would actually go play golf and have drink bourbon and do things with the male attendings that would foster relationships that were outside of the OR, and women were never invited to that. Those relationships then carried into the OR so that they had relationships with those attendings that allowed them to act differently, say things differently, have different kinds of interactions that we were never allowed to have. I talked about it to one of my male colleagues that I was really close with. I was like, you know that your guys are setting yourself up to be different than us, right? By virtue of accepting these invitations and not being like, hey, you know what? What about Lisa and Brittany, our co-residents who also play golf, who are from Florida, so know how to play golf? And he was like, but that would be weird because you're a woman. I think pointing it out is, a, is an important way to um, get your colleagues into the discussion. But looking back on it, do I wish that maybe I had said something to leadership or even to the attendings that were making those invitations? Thank you all for participating on the panel. Don't miss our next episode, which concludes our mini-series condensing this awesome eight-hour Women in Surgery Symposium into five 25-minute episodes. If you found this series helpful, please freely share this with others.